right. Anyway, getting down in Austria. All right. Well, hey, open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, 2, Hebrews chapter 2. And uh, we pick up our study here. By the way, did I, any visitors in the room today? I didn't see anybody brand spanking new, but anybody here for the very first time? I don't think so. Anyway, welcome. Glad to have you guys with us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, and we will pick it up in verse 10. Uh, however, I just want to let you know I'm going to read it all the way to the end of uh, the chapter, even though we're focusing on verses 10 through 13. So this is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 through 13, but we'll read it to the end of the chapter. And this is God's word. For it was fitting that God the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, that would be Jesus, perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, a time comes in every parent's life when the sweet little darling who once ran to the door to greet you and uh, clung to your leg as you walked across the uh, floor um, virtually ignores your coming home. And uh, there comes a time in the life of every parent when uh, that same sweet little darling is absolutely mortified to be associated with you in public. Uh, they don't want to be seen with mommy at the, uh, at the school when she drops them off and um, and uh, so there's hardly a person in this room who hasn't ex- either experienced that or inflicted that uh, on someone who loves them, where you're just embarrassed to be associated with them. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I've got a, a main idea here today. If you want to know what I'm trying to pull out of this passage, what I think it's teaching us, I think the big idea is this. It can be summarized this way. Uh, Jesus is not ashamed of you. And um, I bet you never heard a sermon title like that before. Uh, look down in your bulletin. Uh, today's message, Jesus is not ashamed of you. I bet you've never heard that before. Um, and I, really, in saying something kind of provocative like that, that Jesus is not ashamed of you, it could be received in a few different ways. For instance, an onlooker of Christianity might, um, might look at that statement, Jesus is not ashamed of you, and think, well, what do I care about some religious figure from 2,000 years ago, whether he likes me or not? Uh, whether he's ashamed of me or not, even if he even if he exists at all, okay. So that might be one uh, that might be one view. Uh, that's a good question to ask. Why would I care about some guy two thousand years ago? Good question, uh, Ernest Seeker. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, conversely, another Christian may say, "Well, that kind of thought has never passed through my mind. Jesus is ashamed of me. Why? Why I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb." That's what I am. Uh, um, uh, why would Jesus ever be ashamed of me? My sins are paid for by the blood of the Lamb. I believe him to be my personal Lord and Savior. I, my mind doesn't even think like that. 
Okay, that's one another way to view it. Or you may uh, do what I do, which is uh, find it to be a profound and mysterious and beautiful reality that Jesus would not be ashamed to be associated with me. He would not be ashamed to say, this is my brother. Uh, this, this, this one belongs to me. This one is life, is confusion, his complexities. Uh, he's not ashamed to be associated with me. Now, I don't know where you fall on the spectrum of those um, answers, but friends, um, yeah, let me flip this. Uh, if you're an earnestly searching person, um, if you're a Christian, note that the Bible never states anything arbitrarily. Okay, so when you see something like that, Jesus is not ashamed of you. That's not just some little some little thing that you can just pass over. It's, it's full of weight. There's an economy of words in the Bible. Everything matters. And so you can see that that comes right from, the, right from the middle of verse 11. It says, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. That doesn't show up in the scriptures without a basis. There's a reason the Bible puts that statement in there. It is because it's something Christians need to know. It's something that Christians sometimes think. We think, oh, when God looks at me, he's just got to go, bleh. When God looks at my life, he's just got to go, oh, just so gross and awful. What a terrible person. But friends, Jesus is not ashamed of you. And God doesn't see your wrong. He sees Christ's righteousness. That's a very fundamental thing for Christians to know. And this whole letter is written expressly to Christians who are not only under hardship, persecution, But they're thinking things like this, and I bet you think things like that too. I wonder if Jesus is ashamed to be associated with me. He's not. He's not ashamed to call them brothers. And notice too, halfway through, you know, I started mid-sentence. Halfway through verse 11, it says, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. So you see that it's not just a statement thrown out there with no no foundation. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Whatever that, that is why means is what we're going to look at today. So let's go to our first point, which is this. The sons have a secured glory. Look at verse 10. It was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Um, We looked at verse 10 a good bit last week, but uh, it was explored how it was fitting to God to provide a fitting savior. And uh, think about this, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus Christ, um, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who dwelled in glory and fullness of fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, he humbles himself. And he is born. He takes upon himself a human nature, a human body. And he's born into this world. He is nursed by his mother and cared for by his parents. He grows in wisdom and stature and knowledge. Um, He becomes a tradesman. And think about this, friends. (laughs) This was just blowing my mind as I was pondering this. He committed no act of iniquity ever. That means he was never a disappointment to his parents. He never lied to his mother's face like you all did and like your kids all have done to you. Jesus never did that. He never selfishly took something. He never tried to bump some other kid out of the way. Um, he, he never behaved anything less than perfectly lovingly. Can you imagine? 
Can you imagine the impact of what it would have been like to be around this Jesus? Uh, it, would have, it would have been amazing. It would, he would have stood out. It would have been re- remarkable. And I, I suppose that it was probably uh, quite a frustration to the religious leadership too. To see this sinless savior, it was probably very frustrating and perplexing and backed up what he was saying and who he was. Uh, they could never point at anything. So my point is, it was fitting to God that is, it was, it was acceptable to God that Jesus would come and live this fitting, perfect human life. It was fitting to God that Jesus would come and live a fitting, perfect life so that he could become a fitting sacrifice. We also saw last week in verse 10 um, that Jesus is the founder of our salvation, that word founder. And uh, that's a pretty good English word, founder. You know, he's the author of salvation. You've heard that most of your life, author author of salvation, um, champion of salvation. But founder's a good word because we understand what the founder of a company is, right? It's it's the the guy who started, the lady who started it. It's the founder of the company. So we understand that word. It's a good word. Um, We understand the founders of our nation. Uh, We we get that. Um, Other translations for that word uh, founder are um, author, captain, leader, I think some of you have. And, uh, but in my opinion, the NIV has the, the, the best rendering of that word. Uh, the word is pioneer. And pioneer is something that uh, at least an American, let's say it's the best American English rendering, I think, because pioneer, we really understand pioneer. Founder of a company, somebody starts a company, we get that. But pioneer, we know what covered wagons look like going across the nation and going to Oregon and Seattle and cutting down trees that are as big around as half of this room. We know what a pioneer looks like. That's the idea, that Jesus is a pioneer. That really grabs the idea of what he's being said here. And you've heard me criticize in the past, you know, that we we don't sing at this church, uh, um, Lord, I lift your name on high. I have no objection to lifting his name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I think that's fantastic. I'm so glad you're in my life. I don't really like that one because he is life. He's not just like a, some buddy that's in the, in, on the bus with me. Uh, I'm not crazy about that line. But here's the one that really gets me. Here's the one I really hate. Hate's too strong a word, but only a little bit. Um, <laughs> you came from heaven to earth to show the way. You know, I was, I've always been a little bit annoyed by that line because I just think it's not well written. It could have been better written. Um, but the older I get and the more I, the more I ponder it and the more I size it up against the scriptures, the more I just don't like it. Um, it's not ill-intended at all. I mean, some sincere person wrote that and they wanted to honor God with it. I, that's fantastic. I don't think it's a sin to sing it or anything like that. But you know what? Hebrews 2 does not teach that Jesus came to point the magic way. Hey, everybody, here it was under this rock. I know I'm stretching it a little bit, okay? But what Hebrews 2 says is that Jesus Christ was the pioneer. He didn't come to show us the way. He is the way. He cut the trail. He blazed the trail. He made it. He was it. He is it. He is the way. You know, and actually, the Holy Spirit would be the one who would be showing the way anyway, by the way. All that to say, what, what that means to you, my, my tirade. Um, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, here's, here's, here's how that applies to you. If you're a believer in our Lord Jesus Christ, um, if you believe that you're a sinner, 
And if you believe that that's a gigantic problem, not because nobody's perfect and that, you know, but, but because God is perfect. You know, if you're not perfect and God is perfect, well, that's a big problem. If he's really the way this book portrays him and he can't have sin in his presence, well, that's a big problem for you, big problem for everybody. So if you believe that you're a sinner, that you believe that Jesus wasn't a sinner, if you believe that Jesus was a fitting sacrifice for God, if you believe that salvation is a gift from God through Jesus Christ, if you believe that that gift um, is that Jesus Christ took your eternal punishment for sin, if you believe that, if you believe that you can't contribute anything to salvation, that God accomplished it for you, then ladies and gentlemen, here's the message of Hebrews 2. You've got a happy and secure ultimate future. You're gonna be okay. Your eternity is safe and that can be a source of calm in your soul. And the last thing I'll try to refresh you on uh, concerning last week is this. Um, uh, It really ties to the point at hand too here. Um, It says, um, it was fitting that God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory... um, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Who are these sons of glory? This, these, this, these sons. Um, you know, we're about to sing, uh, in about 45 minutes, you're gonna be singing, joyful, joyful, we adore thee, da, da, da. And you know that that song comes under some criticism. Did you know that? Um, and it's because of this line, um, uh, brother love binds man to man. And, you know, we kind of want to go, ooh, is that universalism? Ooh, it kind of scares me. Could be if you sang it in universalist church. If you sing it in this church, you go, ah, we know what's true. Um, uh, and then there's another one. Thou our father, Christ our brother, all who live in love are thine. And if you were in a universalist church, you'd listen to that and you'd go, mm, it's great, isn't that wonderful? God's the father of everybody and, uh, and we all just need to just love each other and it's just when all brothers. Okay, if you sang it over there, you, that's what you'd be thinking. But over here you go, ah, that's all bull. Um, we know what the Bible teaches and that is that God brings sons to glory and it's specified. And one of, this, uh, one of these commentators wrote a really good thing. He says, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are these people? Well, uh, in verse 9, they're described as everyone. Uh, in verse 10, many sons. In verse 11, all from one, brethren. Um, verse 13, children. Verse 14, those who share in flesh and blood. Um, verse 15, subject to slavery through fear of death. The next one, seed of Abraham. Uh, verse 18, the tempted. These things are all a part of who we are. Um, and you see that son, the sons is not just like everybody. It's specified. Jesus came to save a people for this holy God. You could see that the Bible teaches no universal fatherhood of God. Yeah, he's a creator, but he's our heavenly father in Jesus Christ. No universal brotherhood of man. Yes, we're all creatures relevant on this earth. We should all care for one another. We're image bearers. Are we our brother's keeper? The answer is yes. But the Bible teaches just the opposite that um, everybody's just kind of thrown to the same soup pot. Jesus spilled his blood to win souls. And uh, we Christians have brought in, been brought into family fellowship. That's, that's, that's who we are. All right, so application for your life. It's really the sermon point itself. You know, Jesus is not ashamed of you, so you've got a secured glo- uh, a glory. 
And if Jesus Christ was a trailblazer and the path cutter and the pioneer who went before us redemptively and successfully, then ladies and gentlemen, to put it on common terms, I can tell you that you're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. Now, if you would turn your Bible to the gospel of John, please, John 14, verse 1, John 14, verse 1. Uh, This will probably be familiar to most of you. Um, John 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that you may be where I am also. And you know the way to where I am going. Now, let's just stop there for a quick second. Um, you know, if you're like me, you grew up hearing this. I remember being a little kid, and in my mind, I always pictured, you know, the word I, we always had was mansion. In my father's house are many mansions, and we go, ooh, yeah, mansion. That's pretty good. Beverly Hillbillies, you know, I can relate to that. And uh, so pretty cool. And, um, and then you think, oh, well, is it a house, and will I have my own bedroom? And will be, I be able to put a, a black light Bruce Lee poster on the wall? And uh, I mean, what, what's it going to be like up there? Don't think about houses and rooms and buildings, ladies and gentlemen. Don't do that. Jesus is saying, look, I want to speak to you in anthropomorphic terms. I want it in in terms that a human being can understand. God condescends to us. He speaks to us in a way that we can get. We understand what a house with rooms is, right? We understand what a, a family environment is. Jesus is saying, look, I'm going on ahead. I'm the pioneer. Not only did I live the life, not only did I die, not only am I still alive now, resurrected, but ascended, now royally ruling and reigning. And listen, you're going to be okay. That's what he's saying. There's a place secured for you. And if there's a place secured for you by me, the trailblazer, then you can rest assured that I'm going to come back and get you and bring you to where I am. That's the whole point here. And what's so amazing is that Thomas says to, you know, Jesus goes, and you know the way to where I am going. And uh, Jesus is basically throwing it out there, and Thomas gets on the line and and goes, "Mm, um, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus got, he's got him. Verse six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Very exclusive statement. So translation for you. Um, Basically, paraphrase, I should say. Jesus is saying, I'm going on ahead. Don't you worry. I'm taking care of everything. So um, folks, um, you're going to be okay. Take a deep breath. Uh, You're going to have struggles in this life. Uh, There are going to be dark periods, uh, dark sorrows. One day you are going to move from this life to the next. It It is inevitable. But rest assured, you have an author, a champion, a pioneer, a founder, a trail cutter, a trailblazer who never forgets that he's got lambs in his wake. You're going to be okay. Second point. The sanctified have a single source. If you look at verse 11 uh, back in Hebrews here, uh, the sanctified have a single source. It says, um, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. You can see where I got the, uh, the sermon point. 
Um, other Bible translations, instead of one source, they have uh, one stock. The New English Bible has one stock. Uh, that's kind of a, uh, that's a helpful term, I think. Uh, NIV has the same family. And so foundationally, again, we see that this is not the universal fatherhood of God. This is that God has saved people, and uh, it's a specific people. Note that it's not left without an explicit definer. It says, verse 11, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That that being sanctified thing uh, is an, an important thing to understand. Being sanctified simply means to be made holy. To be sanctified is to set something apart for a very special use. Um, uh, You know that I like to cook and uh, I like making fancy stuff. And so if we have a little dinner party or something at our house, or we may have six people in our kitchen, or if it's just Tammy and me, um, you know, I'll cook some kind of thing and uh, garnish. I like to put a garnish on the plate, you know? But I, I hate... Um, like stupid inedible garnishes, you know, like you get, somebody puts a paper umbrella. I'm like, that's not food. Why is it even on my plate? Or you go to a restaurant and they, they jam a big piece of rosemary in your steak. Look, a Christmas tree. Look how tall it is, you know, and you, you take it out and you're like, why the heck is this in here? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. It's not edible. That my point is, I like a beautiful garnish that not only adds beauty, but tastes good and it's a part of the whole thing. And so I may have like Italian parsley or something. And if I have uh, six people that are gonna sit down and I have one scallop as an appetizer and there's some kind of sauce or something, I'll take the six most beautiful, perfect, uniformed pieces of Italian parsley, one leaf, And before the people even come over, I've got them picked out and set aside in a special place where I don't mess up and destroy them or move them or whatever. And I put something over so they don't dehydrate. My point is, very careful about those six. I've looked through a big blob of Italian parsley to find those six gorgeous uniform leaves. They're set apart. And what this is saying is that God has set a people apart. They're set apart from this world. They're set apart for holy things, things that God cares about. You know, folks, um, we've already talked about this, application for your life. We, we talked about this last week. But, um, you know, a, a big theme of the book of Hebrews is the supremacy of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, Jesus Christ is supreme above all else. This book specifies that Jesus Christ is supreme over anything that's created, He's supreme over any other covenant. He's supreme over any other sacrifice, supreme over any other king, supreme over any other prophetic utterance. He is supreme. That's a major theme of the book of Hebrews. But another major theme is sanctification, that God has set aside a people for himself for a special purpose, and that purpose is holiness. Um, You know... um, In shorthand, what this is saying basically is that God has saved you and he's not done for you, uh, done with you. Uh, He saved you, but he's not done with you. And to be set apart by God means that he's got absolute rights and access to every single part of who you are. Um, Straying here slightly, but you know, we're just, we minister in a very, very strange time. Um, I can't remember if I told you this a couple of weeks ago or not. I, I told some people, but I did a, I did a search. Um, you know, when I write messages, I'm 
I'm connected with the, the internet the whole time. I mean, I have multiple Bible translations open. Uh, if, if there's a detail I don't know, or even a cultural reference or something, I, I look up, I try to look up everything. Um, so I'm just constantly back and forth and, and, um, and working online. I forgot what I was about going to say. Shoot. Oh, dang it. If it hits me, I'll jump back in. Jimbo. Something dark. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so I type in this thing, and uh, I was looking up some kind of theological fact, and I, I, it, the website was like, Jesus is Lord, or Jesus is the King, or so. I can't remember what the website was, but I'm here at the church, and I get a uh, Barracuda proxy warning that gets, that gets sent right to Brent Wilkins. I've been on an inappropriate website. Uh, you know why? Hate and intolerance. Because I looked up a theological point. I'm just saying, it's a scary world out there, and the world has changed, and ministering is, is really scary, and it's going to get harder and harder, and we're going to look more and more like bigots and buffoons and uh, intolerant jerks. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, the gospel has never changed. The gospel is exactly the same. We'll be preaching the same gospel 100 years from now as we did 500 years ago, which is... Humankind is fallen and broken and in a calamitous state. And any thinking person can look around the world and see that it's a broken world full of pain and hardship and confusion and that there's some, there's some reason we feel like it's not the way it's supposed to be. We see that. Well, God has intervened, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, he has sent a savior, but the, the gospel message has never been anything different than come, receive the free gift of eternal life and all it costs you, is everything. Where my body? It's not your body. Where nobody's going to tell me what to do. Well, you know what? You have to submit every single aspect of who you are to this God. That's the gospel. It's very simple. Um, all right. Uh, our last point. Uh, the brothers have an elder brother, and uh, we'll spend more on this next time. But um, look at verse twelve. Um, He is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Now, that's taken from Psalm 22, and it's another Old Testament passage applied to the Christ in Hebrews, uh, to Hebrews. Um, And look at verse 12. Again, uh, I will will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Ladies and gentlemen, what is that? If you want an application, what is that? but the worshiping church. What is that? But, but a, a people who have been gathered by God who assemble and, and praise this God because they, they belong to him and they collectively worship. Um, verse 13, again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Um, that's taken from Isaiah 8, 17 and 18. And uh, again, we'll talk about this more next time, okay? But, but ladies and gentlemen, here's the, here's the point. Jesus Christ is our brother. He's our elder brother. And um, he's not our brother because we've associated ourselves with him. That's not why he's our brother. He's our brother because he's associated himself with us. He's not ashamed to call us brothers uh, and sisters, of course, implied. All right, last thing, and um, we'll close up. I, um, in sixth grade, uh, growing up in the Chicago area, some local area churches had this thing that, that uh, elementary school boys could go to, and we, it was every Friday night, 
and uh, in like in the winter, and we go to this thing called Boys Club. And I know it sounds like Father Flanagan and everything, but it was this thing called Boys Club. But it was just a bunch of like fifth and sixth grade boys uh, in a gym on a Friday night, uh, multiple churches, probably 200 guys and 12 to 15 dads. And it was really cool because it was all dudes. And uh, it was kind of that, that cool era where you had men investing in the boys. And, and uh, it was just all so healthy and groovy and everything. We played relay races and dodgeball. And uh, which we called bombardment, by the way. It dawned on me last night. Do you remember? Did anybody else call it bombardment? Yeah, before dodgeball. Anyway, anyway, we love doing that. And, and so one night I was fiddling around with a fire alarm. And uh, I wasn't trying to set it off or anything. I was not trying to cause damage, but I was, I was intrigued by it. And I, I couldn't, I could, I was amazed at how far down you could pull the lever without anything happening. <laughs> And uh, I was like, look at this. There's no, uh, you'd think the alarm would go off right away, but it would, it would go about that far. And so I, I called some kids over, some boys over, and I'm like, hey, guys, watch this. And they were like, don't touch it, don't touch it. I'm like, it's okay. Brrr, you know, and I set the whole thing off. Well, you know, the fire department comes, and, um, and it's a building that some school's letting us use. And uh, we're, now, now we have, I've just put the whole thing in jeopardy. And so the, the firemen come. And they say, who did this? And uh, I mean, like every kid in the whole place went. And I, so I'm standing there going, and they're all pointing at me, you know? And, uh, you know, in our culture today, people go, oh, I hope he wasn't damaged by that. Oh, he just this tender little soul. Everybody accusatory. Oh, my goodness. What? Well, you know, guess what? I was guilty. And... Nobody wanted it to be guilty by association. They didn't want to be like, yeah, we did it together. Or, yeah, he's my friend. They were, I had no friends. They were like, no, 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 no. I'm not getting hauled off by that guy in that uniform or by getting in trouble here. I mean, complete breaking of association with me. Well, let me be clear. I was guilty. And uh, I don't blame a single one of those kids for wanting to not be associated with me because they weren't guilty and they didn't want to be associated with the guilty one. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ, the sinless, glorious, perfect Son of God, humbled himself, took on a human nature, but humbled himself even unto death on a cross, friends. He was not ashamed to associate with himself with you, and he's not ashamed today. And so I, I leave you with this. Um, you, don't, you don't want to case a mistaken identity. I know, you don't want to be called guilty when you're not, but guess what? Sinners are guilty. And Jesus says, I love them and I will make them my brothers and I am not ashamed to be associated with them. Rather, I love them enough to win them. It's a pretty glorious gospel. Let's pray. Our Father, we are humbled and, and we're also sorry because it's very easy to take grand and infinite and, and wonderful things over, all, over what heaven is amazed at, and, and we just find them to be familiar and, and, and common. It's not common. Um, we pray, Lord, that we would be amazed at grace all over again, that you would not be ashamed to be associated with us, but rather would rejoice over us with singing and receive us as clean and fitting because of our fitting Savior in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Hey, please do come next time.